This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Dion Warwick, great music on 2NURFM and great times as well. We're talking travel now, Sally Lucas and I. And Sally Airlines, can you tell us which are the top airlines? Well, they've just done the awards again. This is Skytrax, which do these awards every year, and airlines are nominated and judged in all sorts of different categories. And surprise this year is Singapore Airlines didn't take it out. Um, they've Qatar, been at the top quite a lot oh, recently. Yes, uh, on and off, look. Almost one in probably two out of every three years, I'd say they usually get top airline. But Qatar Airways from the Middle East, so there you go. Then Singapore, then Asiana, which is from um, uh, Korea, uh, Cathay Pacific, Thai, um, Etihad, which is from Abu Dhabi, Air New Zealand, Qantas, Turkish Airlines, believe it or not, got into the top ten, and then Emirates. So that's interesting, isn't it? And what do they base <coughs> this on? Well, they they look at everything from checking in at the airport, you know, the, the staff, the how they check you in, the, how fast it is, how efficient it is, down to the type of airline, how new it is, you know, is it all refurbished, food, service, seating, you know, it's a whole whole lot of categories, and um, but some of them will, might be voted like best in one particular area, but it's still one overall the best airline, if you know what I'm saying. So there could be airlines in that that are eight or nine who've still won the best in a particular category. So you can go on anyway to a website, um, World Airline Rewards, sorry, awards, not rewards, worldairlineawards.com. But there's a couple of other good websites too if you're wanting to do other bits and pieces with airlines and find out things. One's called airlinequality.com. And the other one's seatguru.com. Now, in these you'll find such information as seat pitch, which can be important. Now, a lot of people don't realise seat pitch isn't the distance. Well, it's not the leg room. It's the distance between um, the back of the seat in front of you back to your front of the back of your seat, if that the makes sense. Back of the back. <coughs> back, back of the front. So if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, but you can also get advice on family-friendly airlines, for example, for people with children to know which ones provide families, for example, with um, pre-boarding service, you know, before adults, they let the, the children with people with infants and strolls go on for, make sure that families sit together on an aircraft. Now, when I had James when we were quite young, we were even split, the three of us were in three different seats once, which is disgusting um, for a family which ones offer bassinets provide changing facilities on board some will provide baby food and nappies some will say no you've got to bring your own Um, some have designated cabin staff to assist families with small children Um, but yes if you go on here it's got all sorts of great information who's got the best business class seats best first class seats and it'll tell you why it'll tell you you know how long the seat is the width of it so just a lot of good information uh, that you can find out for yourself when you're wanting to book an airline if you want to just do that in advance to give you a bit of pre-advice, if you like, before and choosing. Which website was that again? It's on. Well, there's two of them, but the one that I found was probably the best to look at was airlinequality.com, but there is another one called seatguru.com, and they've Good. got links on them to other areas as well. But they're just just quite handy to have, and also it even goes as far as showing you maps of the seating plans, so you can work out where emergency exits are, or you know where there's bulkheads or 
etc. So it, it's really good. It lets you sort of choose a bit or you can go into your travel agent then and have a bit of pre-information about the airline you'd like to fly with and the sort of seating you'd prefer, etc. So And we'll, we'll put those uh, <coughs> websites up on our Facebook page oh, good. if you'd like to check them out Yes, there. no, that would be great. Thank you, Jane. Um, and also, if you're travelling to Thailand this year, they have this wonderful festival in Chiang Mai called Yipeng Lana, Y-E-E-P-E-N-G, Another word, L-A-N-N-A. And what it is, it's a festival that's been going on since 1989. And on the full moon in November, which is the 9th of November, it happens to be this year. So if you happen to be going to Thailand around that time, they release all these beautiful lanterns. And it's just quite a spectacle. But what they're doing this year for the first time for the tourists, they're also adding in, they're calling it Brighten the World, Brighten the Mind. And you can actually even do a seven-day special meditation retreat extension at the end of this, if you will. But they also, it's part of um, all faith and they, they have a blessing. It doesn't matter what nationality, what religion you are. And it's quite a wonderful spectacle if you happen to be in Chiang Mai on the 9th of November. Are they all the same <clears throat> colour? Or are they different colours? They, they're different colours usually, but ones that are still quite not, not dark because they want to display the light, obviously, through the material. So generally they're all of a fairly a pastel or light colour or white colour. But yes, it's just quite beautiful. I've seen a, a small version of that was when I was in the north of Thailand in that Isan region and they float them all on the river. And it's quite beautiful. So it is something if you're there to be worth, to you know, consider trying to do if you can. Del Shannon and Runaway to NURFM 20 past one. You're listening to Talking Travel. Sally Lucas, we're going walking now. A little bit of exercise perhaps? <laughs> Running away we are. Like Del Shannon. Um, I just thought we'd mention some of the, the walks or treks, whatever you like to call them, adventure style travel. We did mention a couple of weeks ago, Jane, this wonderful new Great Himalayan Trail that's now available that goes all the way from Nepal through to Pakistan. So just to remind people about that one, you don't have to be absolutely intrepid and do the whole four and a half thousand kilometres. Of course, you can, as we've mentioned before, break it down into sections and that's through World Expeditions and that's February next year is the first official, um, if you like, commercial undertaking of it um, starting next year. Now, the other area you can go to is Khao Sok National Park in Thailand, which um, is in obviously in that national park in the southern Thailand. And there's some lots of um, lovely treks and walks you can do there. And you can actually stay on um, this area of, the, of a river called the Putawan Floating Huts and they're 32 simple and comfortable bamboo huts that float on the waters of the. I can never say a lot of the Thai words, so I'm probably mispronouncing this, but the Ratchaprapra Dam. And um, there's no electricity, but you can dive straight off your little uh, floating hut for a morning wake up call. And, um, you know, it's only about $20 a night to stay there. But there's limestone cliffs and lovely trails through the park, and it's home to about 180 bird species, as well as. Um, Banteng, uh, the Malaysian sun bears, um, langurs, and all sorts of interesting things there. The other one is the Via Ferrata in Borneo, which I have mentioned some time ago, and it means it's Italian for Iron Way, and it's a mountain path consisting of a series of rungs and rails and cables embracing the rock face. And it was developed in the Dolomites during World War One to help with uh, troop mobilisation, and they've adapted it to let people climb this um, what they call the Via Ferrata of Southeast Asia's highest mountain, which is Mount Kinabalu. 
the Baloo, which is at 4,095 metres. So it's not the traditional walk. It's a, it's a different walk and obviously one that's not for the faint-hearted, I would suggest. Um, the other area is Switzerland, um, Ticino Lake Maggiore. Um, apparently there's a lovely area there tucked up in that northern area, the Italian border, the Italian-speaking corner of Switzerland, which is often overlooked and only 8% of Swiss are Italian speakers. But here in the foothills of the Alps and the Bavona Valley, there's some beautiful walks to be done there and down into the inland Riviera around Lake Maggiore. And, of course, we've got the Chattabula Trail, which is in the southwestern corner of Nipmaluk National Park in Australia, in Central Australia. And that's a wonderful one to do as well. And I think you've done this, Jane, haven't you? The one from Catherine Gorge to Edith Falls, which they say is a delightful walk. And it's about, what, about 58 kilometres? It's uh, about that, yes. And mostly flat for over five days, they say. Is that right? Are they being true to that? They are, in fact, right. You climb up onto the escarpment (coughs) and that way you don't have to worry about the crocodiles, which is Well, it's the last thing you want to have to worry about, isn't it? However, because of the heat, it is a good idea to make sure you get all your walking done by about 11 o'clock in the morning. Of course. I mean, that would go without saying, wouldn't it, up in the north? Uh, And the other last one I'd mention is the Pacific Coast State one highway, one of, uh, there's a thousand kilometre strip um, of black ribbon hugging the California coast from Capistrano Beach to Leggett and it's a road trip now more for its, uh, I guess it's stunning scenery as, as it always has been for that wonderful road trip but there are wonderful walks apparently again in there going inland around Mendocino north of San Francisco and you go into some wonderful uh, rugged mountains there, 128 kilometres of pristine shoreline and a lovely conservation area there so there's lots of things you can do that are a little bit different and off the beaten track. So while in America, how about we go steamboating? Why not? Now, I don't know whether people realise, but steamboating died and there actually ended up being no vessels plying along the Mississippi River for some time. And this happened after about the 1970s that started when trains, planes and automobiles, of course, were taking um, or making their mark on the river trade. And, of course, things just kept dying. And by about 2001, the number of passenger steamboats plying the Mississippi could be counted on the fingers of one hand. And then the death knell sounded in November 2008 when the world's biggest ever steamboat built, the 436-passenger sternwheeler American. American Queen was withdrawn from service and mothballed with mountainous debts, apparently. So what they've done, the two companies who are both vying to run it have agreed to talk to each other, which sounds a very much more sensible thing to do, and have come up with the funds to restore the American Queen, which is just a wonderful thing to do. So she's 127 metres and in the middle of a restoration project as we speak. And she'll start again in April next year doing wonderful three, four, seven night cruises. And of course, you visit all sorts of things. And like any river cruise, as we've said before, you're plying these areas that were once the only form of transport to get to areas. So you're seeing all sorts of things along the way from grand southern mansions, including Elvis's, um, to Civil War battlefields and all sorts of interesting things. And they're going to have like uh, the swing and the Dixie bands on board. So you're going to have the, you know, the Dixieland jazz, the gospel and the blues as you drift along the river and lots of typical southern food with jambalaya and shrimps with olives and green onions and southern fried chicken and all sorts of things. And, um, of course, you've got to remember that Samuel Clements, and people might say, who was he? But he wrote The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn under the name of Mark Twain. And he himself was once a riverboat pilot. So you 
you could be rekindling lots of stories and just visiting lots of very interesting areas which go hundreds of kilometres and that used to go through in the old days. The cruises would travel through 31 areas. And so it's really quite a remarkable amount of the Mississippi that you're going to be able to see and the grand old, uh, the river of the Mississippi, Old Man River. And um, they call these boats the wedding cake boats because they are so tall and white and beautiful. And so I just thought for someone wanting to do something a bit different, we've talked about all sorts of river cruises. That is certainly different. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and has lots of fun planning holidays. And we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the one o'clock news on 2NURFM.